can be really cute when it's coming from the lips of an infant. But I got news for you. As you move along in life, the word no is mostly frustrating and confusing, especially when it comes from the lips of God. What does the Bible say about God saying no to us? How do we respond when God says no? Do you have a request that you can identify in your life that you've been praying for for a year, two years, five years, a decade, a quarter of a century? I know you're not that old. That's okay. But you've been praying a long, long, long time for an answer, and it hasn't come yet. What's the no you're living with right now or the no that you've lived with for your life? If you're going to face the tough stuff of life, if you're going to get real with God and grow, you've got to face this no. This morning, we're going to start a series, a new series called When God Says No. It's going to be a three-week series, and um, I'm excited to start this because it's not easy when God says no, especially to things that you've been praying so hard for or hoping for. And um, So these next over these next three weeks, we'll, we'll hear about what God says about submitting to his perfect will and his plan for our life and being open-minded to his purpose and his plan. But now we're going to continue in worship, and uh, we're going to declare our freedom that we have in Christ. Praise God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for bringing us here today, Lord God, and we come to bring glory to your name. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, change us, make us different, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. It is good to see you, and as you're seated, you've got to give out a little wood. Woo! It's 30 degrees out! Guess what? Spring might actually happen after all. Did you ever think you'd cheer for 30? I mean, come on. That's just, that's pretty amazing. That's great stuff. I am so glad you're here today. My name is Dennis. If this is your first time here today, we have a gift that we want to give to you. Uh, nobody hands it to you. You just go get it yourself. Back by the coffee area, there's a banner that says to our guests or for our guests and under it is a book that we'd like you to take just as our way of saying thanks for being here. For the rest of you, no, we like you. There's just no gift today, except being with me. And come on, that's a great gift. You, you got really lucky today. So anyway, uh, we are going to be breaking into a new series today, as, as Dana said. And as we do, we're going we're gonna to have this, uh, this topic today introduced by a little child. Little child I met. She's fantastic. I met her on YouTube. Yeah, the great place to meet little kids. Somebody has got a handful on their hands someday. This little girl's name is Charlotte. Check out, see if you can catch the theme of what we're talking about today. No. Did you have a good Christmas? No. Do you love your mommy? No. Do you love your daddy? No, no, no. <laughs> Do you love your Uncle Jalen? No. Do you love your grandparents? No, no, no. Do you want a million dollars? No, no. Do you love your duffy? No, no. Do you no, want to no. go night-night? No, no. <laughs> Do you love bath time? No, no. Is there anything you like? No, no. That is so cute. Until about two years later. And then I was like, ah, you know, you just that we've had enough. No can be really cute when it's coming from the lips of an infant. But I got news for you. As you move along in life, the word no is mostly frustrating and confusing, especially when it comes from the lips of God. When there is something we are longing for, praying for, wanting, and God says no, it's just tough to hear. 
It's really, really tough to hear. We're breaking into a series today that really goes along with a, just a, a tough question series. Sometimes we have to ask hard questions of our faith. I would never want us to just ask the easy questions of our faith because we can answer the easy questions, but, but if our faith doesn't answer the tough questions, it's worthless. And guess what? Our faith and our God do answer the tough questions. They really do. We're going to be breaking into this series that I've been wanting to do for a long time talking about the concept of God saying no to us. And as we do, uh, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to break it out over three weeks. Today we're just doing the what. You could almost call it a mini theology of no. What does the Bible say about God saying no to us? As we move along, next week's going to be a big one as we talk about the why of no. Why does God say no? If God is loving, if God is merciful, if God cares... If God's your father, why does he deliver that no message sometimes? And then the last week that we talk about this, we're going to get into the how. And that is simply this. How do we respond when God says no? What's, what's the right response? What should we be doing when God delivers a no to us? So if I could boil the whole morning down to one simple line, it is this. Today's life lesson, no happens even to the best of us. Even to the best of us, no happens. I think we tend to be a little bit delusional sometimes on this. We think that no happens because we're bad. No happens because we did something wrong. And we almost get this idea that there are people in life that always get a yes from God. They, I mean, it's like they pray and God says, sure, have three of those, two of those, five of those, whatever you want. And then you pray And you get to know, and you're like, come on, what's going on here? Am I doing something wrong? No happens, even to the best of us. We're going to look at some of the best of us today, uh, not by looking around the room, but by looking at the Bible. Some of the people in the Bible that were incredibly good by anyone's standards, people that if if they deserved a, a yes just because of who they were, they would have gotten it, but instead they got a no. And each of these are going to go along with a a different topic, ways that we're told no in life. For example, the first one, sometimes you're praying for something you just want desperately. I mean, you pray, your heart groans because you want it to happen so desperately. It reminds me of Hannah in 1 Samuel. Hannah's a woman who could not have a child. And she prayed and she cried out to God. Maybe you know someone who has had an ability to have a child or you've been there yourself. You know the heart groan that goes along with that. Her her situation is even more complicated and one that none of us have to imagine because her husband's always also married to someone else. I I have a hard time sometimes getting my, my arms around these polygamous relationships in the Bible. God didn't say they were right. They just were. And here it is, and and Hannah has, if you want to call her a rival wife, and the rival wife is a baby factory. I mean, every time she turns around, there's another baby, and she smiles, walks up to her, look at my little baby, don't you love my little baby? And she taunts Hannah with that. She taunts her to the point that this is what the Bible says about Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Have you prayed that kind of prayer? A prayer that's so hard, that's so intense. She was praying so intensely to God. God, hear my cry. She's praying so intensely. She's in the temple praying. She's praying so intensely that the priest mistakes it for drunkenness. 
I don't know if your prayer has ever been mistaken for drunkenness, but that, that just goes to show you how deeply and how passionately she was praying to God. She wanted to see a result. Hannah's a great woman. And God said no, at least for a while. How about this one? Sometimes you're just praying for an end to a difficult season. Maybe you're in the middle of a difficult season right now. You just you can't wait for it to be done. Just like you feel the oncoming of spring and this cold winter we've been through, you've been in a cold winter in your life, and you're just longing for a breakthrough. You're longing for spring. You are longing. You are longing for an end to a difficult season. When I think through the Bible, I can't help but think of Job when it comes to difficult seasons. It's ironic that Job actually, Job receives his no, not because of how bad he is, but because of how good he is. God actually says about Job, Satan comes and says, hey, God says to Satan, check out Job, great guy. And Satan says, of course he's a great guy. You give him everything. You always say yes. God says, fine, let's give him a diet of no and see what happens. And that diet of no includes physical pain beyond our ability to imagine. It involves losing his children. It involves losing his wealth. And he goes through a season of deep anguish, a season that he's longing to end. Listen to the words of these prayer, this prayer. I wonder if you've ever prayed this. I cry out to you, O oh God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. So I looked for good, but evil came instead. I waited for the light, but darkness fell. My heart is troubled and restless. Days of suffering torment me. I walk in gloom without sunlight. I stand in the public square and cry out for help. Instead, I am considered a brother to jackals, and and I'm a companion to owls. My skin has turned dark. My bones burn with fever. My heart plays sad music. My flute accompanies those who weep. This guy was going through a tough, tough season. And God said no to ending the season. How about just praying for God to change his mind? We may not do that overtly. We may not literally use the words, God, change your mind. But we suggest alternatives. We suggest ways that things could work better. Jesus prayed for God to change his mind. I don't think anybody in the room is going to quibble as to whether or not Jesus was good. Jesus was the ultimate good. He embodied good. He was perfect. And yet when it came to the point of his death, something that he knew was very, very important. This is what he prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. And then he goes on to say, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He prays a second time. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Have you ever found yourself just praying, God, I, I, let's, I need an alternative. Do something else. I still want you to accomplish what you want to accomplish, but, but does it have to be this way? There are times in our lives that we pray for a miracle. I mean, we long for a miracle and it doesn't happen. You have someone you love and they're going through a, a, a disease that you know is going to end in their death. Terminal. And you pray for and long for a miracle. The sisters of Lazarus, Lazarus, Mary and Martha, longed for a miracle. They thought they had an inside track, you know, because Jesus was their best friend. Lazarus was described as someone that Jesus loved. He loved them. 
And so when Lazarus gets sick, and not just a little cold, not a stomach flu, he gets sick to the point that it's obvious he's going to die. His sisters send for him. They say, we need your help right now, Jesus. Get here. And we'll look into the story a little bit as we look at the other parts of this series. But, but Jesus actually says, not now, not yet. There's a greater thing to be accomplished here than the healing of Lazarus. There's a greater thing to be accomplished. And so he waits and Lazarus dies. Here's what the sisters say. Lord, Martha says, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever found yourself saying, God, if you'd have just shown up, if you'd have just shown up, everything would have been okay. But I'm out here alone. You ever just prayed for a long time? Some of us are good at praying for something urgently once, maybe twice. Do you have a request that you can identify in your life that you've been praying for for a year, two years, five years, a decade, a quarter of a century. I know you're not that old. That's okay. But you've been praying a long, long, long time for an answer, and it hasn't come yet. I think of Anna and Simeon, two of the great characters of the Christmas story. Both of them spent their days in the temple. And what did they spend their days doing? It says Anna was 84 years old waiting for the coming of the Messiah. She fasted and prayed all the time, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Simeon and Anna waited their entire life for an answer. They waited and waited and waited. Find elsewhere in the Old Testament a line that is a classic prayer, classic prayer that's offered up to God. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Maybe you don't say it exactly that way, but you find yourself saying, God, how long? How much longer before something breaks? How much longer before something changes? How long, O Lord? The Psalms use that phrase 13 times. David, in the face of enemies, in another situation, says, God, how long do I have to go through this? The prophets cry it out to God. How long do we have to be in captivity? How long do we have to be under this dictatorship? How long do we have to go through this torture? And I promise you that prayer has been prayed over and over again through the centuries as people, people group after people group have been taken into captivity under ruthless dictators. And they said, how long before an end to this horrible season of pain? How about this one? Sometimes we're praying for what seems to be best. I mean, we know we're not God. We, know, we also know we're pretty good at giving him help on how to run the program. Well, you know, we, we, got, we got a pretty good handle on it. God, if you would just do this, everything would be better. I don't think any of us would deny that the Apostle Paul was pretty influential in the Christian, in the Christian uh, religion. He had a great impact. He wrote a huge portion of the New Testament. Much of the theology that we understand comes from Paul. Much of the theology we don't understand comes from Paul. He's big in, in, in our faith. And the Apostle Paul, the Bible tells us, becomes afflicted. He says, I was afflicted with a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Sermons, books, papers, all over the place have been written about what the thorn in the flesh is. And I'm not even going there this morning. Here's Paul's point. God, I could do even better for you if you would just take this out of the way. I'd be even more effective for you if you just take this out of the way. You might have a variation on this. God, if you just let me win the lottery, I could help my friends. 
Uh, I'd help myself too, but I could just, I could help my friends. We find ourselves praying these prayers. God, if, if you would move away this problem or if you would get this out of the way, I could be a better servant for you. And you how God responds to Paul. I, I love the response. It says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. God actually said, Paul, you are better for me with the thorn than without it. And my grace is what you need right now. Praying for something we want desperately, for an end to a difficult season, for God to change his mind, for a miracle. Just praying for a long, long time. Praying for what seems best. We pray and pray and pray. And from the lips of God, we get that two-letter word, no, no. Wonder this morning as we transition to the room, what's your no? What's the no you're living with right now or the no that you've lived with for your life? It's important that you identify it. I want you to do that. I want you to get your, get your arms around one no in your life right now. It will make this series much more practical. We're not just talking about this in the land of theory. Life isn't theory. God isn't theory. And it will make it much more real if you take the time to grasp your no. Now, I know what happens when we do that. Some of you, it's too painful to do that. You've put it in a closet. You've hidden it under a rug. But you don't want to even take time to think about your no anymore. It just hurts too much. But you've got to do it. If you're going to face the tough stuff of life, if you're going to get real with God and grow, you've got to face this no. It's been right there in your face. Let me suggest some. Maybe for you, the no is in the form of employment. It's been two weeks, two months, two years. And you keep thinking, you know, God, a job would be a really nice thing. Just send me a job. Why can't I have a job? Maybe your prayer is for a child. Uh, Our child turns 19 today. In fact, two minutes before midnight, I'll never forget it. Two more minutes, and I had a Valentine's baby. Instead, I have a Friday the 13th baby. And she's, <laughs> and she's lived up to the reality of that. Oh, my goodness. We prayed a lot for our daughter throughout the year. She's been a good kid, but we found ourselves praying prayers for her. Maybe you're praying prayers for your kid. Maybe you're praying prayers for your spouse. Maybe for the spouse that's not in your life yet, and you keep saying, God, I'd just like to be married. I'd just like to have someone to share life with. And it hurts to even think about it. And others of you hurt because you say, I got one and we're not together. We are so lonely even though we live in the same house. How about praying for a breakthrough? You find yourself saying that line, if I could just catch a break. If I could just catch a break. If I could, one break and I might finally get on track again. One break. A bad relationship. You have a friend, a relative. You were tracking for a long time and then something blew up. And you just wish you could go back to the way it was and you pray about it and nothing's shifting. Healing or wholeness, maybe there's something physical that's ailing you. Maybe it's an emotional healing that's needed. But, but you're longing for wholeness that isn't coming. How about this one, just a change of heart. You know someone that if they would just do X, their life would be better. And they refuse to change. 
And you pray, God, just let them change their heart. You long for them to become a Christ follower. You know God longs for them to become a Christ follower. And you're like, God, why don't you just force them to do it? Come on. And you get the no. How about the no of unfulfilled dreams? You're at a point in your life, there are things you would like to have been, places you would like to have seen, things you would like to have done. And you look at this list and go, this is not the way I hoped life would have worked out. It's just a sample, just a sample of the no's. And I have a feeling if we went around the room, my goodness, we'd have a long, long list, a long, long list of things that people are grappling with and saying, God, I just long for you to say yes. I long for you to answer my prayer. I want to show you an example right now of a no, a no that is really difficult. It involved an initial yes and then a heartbreaking no uh, to to an answer and just... As we watch this, what I really hope will happen is you'll wrap your your arms around the tension of your own no. Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edward Syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child. And the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, you were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, We do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You are also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours, and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now, and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep, and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope, and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down, and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh 7 pounds 3 ounces. You're growing, and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. 
you finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fist, and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well, you tipped the scales today at 8 pounds, 14 ounces. Quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch. How quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well. And although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son. Mom and Dad. forever some no's are just too hard aren't they baby caskets shouldn't exist some no's are just too tough to bear if you're going to get anything about out of what we're talking about you've got to get your arms around your no you've got to because it's only then that you're really going to be able to grow in your faith It's got to move out of the land of theory and into the land of reality. We get different kinds of no's in life. Sometimes God just says never, it's not going to happen. Other times he says not yet, not now. 
Sometimes he says, not that. We've got something else instead. As we look at the lives of the Bible characters, as we look at the life on the video, and even as we look at our own lives, there are a handful of lessons that we learn from these stories, uh, really our, our theology of no, trying to understand and make sense of it. And the first is this. No happens to good people. No happens to Christians. No happens to devoted Christ followers. No happens to pastors and missionaries. No happens. We, we tend to think that no only happens to people that have messed up. The truth is, when you look at the story of Job, no happens to the best of us. No is part of what helps us to grow. Second, no is never easy to hear, even for a saint. And I use the word saint loosely. We don't believe in praying to saints and icons and all of that. You know what the Bible says? And this may be more shocking to you than the statue thing. The Bible says if you're a Christ follower, you're a saint. Saint is simply the plural for the word holy. You're holy ones, you're saints. And you're going, really? Well, yeah, not because of who you are, because of what Jesus has done for you. You're a saint, No is never easy to hear, even for a saint. Don't believe it? Read Job. This guy could not understand why he was going through what he was going through. And the most human people in the Bible admitted, I am struggling. I'm struggling with the no. Further, no is not always a punishment. You learn that with our kids, don't we? Our kids think every time we, we, we say no, we're torturing them, right? They, they get that look on their face like, you don't love me. I'm going to live in another house. You know, that, that sort of thing. No. No isn't always a punishment. In fact, just the opposite. Sometimes no is exactly what we need. Now, this one's going to be really hard. And you may just find yourself struggling with this one all week long, but I want the struggle to happen. No is always the right answer. God knows best. God's in charge. God's in control. God understands beyond what we understand. And no is always the right answer. And finally, and this is really important, we need to be wary of those who downplay no. There are teachers out there on TV, radio, in writing and print, on the Internet, that will tend to preach something like this. If you're living the Christian life right, you'll get whatever you want. I don't know what Bible they're reading. It's not the one that comes from God. Because the truth is, if you're living the Christian life right, you might get more no's than other people. And you might not. But there is no correlation between I do good and boom, out of that little gumball machine comes a yes. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works at all. So next week, we're going to move on to the reason for no. And as you do, again, I just I want you to wrap your brain around your no. Wrap your arms around it. Really wrestle with it. Wrestle with the tension of it. Don't just put it away. You might need to from time to time. But really wrestle with it. And here's the question I want you to be asking for yourself throughout the week. What is God saying, really? What is God saying, really? What, what's the message? All we can hear are those two letters, No, God's saying something. What is he saying, really? Let's talk to him right now.
Truth be told, God, our hearts ache. They hurt. They burst. When we spend too long thinking about the no that is put before us. It's hard. And I pray that you'll help us to really wrestle through it. Because otherwise, all we have is a theology. All we have is a religion. But if we want a faith, and if we want a relationship, we have to face hard questions. If we want a real faith, we can't only ask it the easy stuff. The easy stuff will always hold up. We have to ask it the tough stuff and see if it's got a strong enough foundation. And this we know, it does. It does. And this we know, you do. There is nothing that we can bring to you right now that causes you to quake in fear. Oh no, I don't know the answer. You are God. And so today I pray that you will give us the courage to look our no in the eyes and to hear what you're really saying. In Jesus' name. season, a new season of groups is about to begin, and I thought it would be good to invite John to just answer some of the questions that might be on your mind about a group, and uh, I, I thought of one that we didn't ask in the first service, but would you kind of, um, I know you've been in different groups and they all run a little bit differently, but kind of give a rundown of what a night looks like. Okay, uh, before we, did, we do that, I want to, uh, in the first service I said this, I want to say it again. Just appreciate your leadership in taking us in this direction with this series. I was moved this morning. I hope you were too. Uh, this is a great question that we need answers to, and everybody has their no that they're experiencing. So just appreciate that very much. Thanks, um, Thanks so much. What does, what does a typical group night look like? Well, uh, you, you drive up, you get out of your car, you walk in. Uh, hopefully there's a couple of smiling faces there. Uh, you know, you... Uh, have your highs, your hellos, kind of ease into the night. Uh, then there's a, a study portion of the group that you kind of watch, walk through. For us, this last time, uh, a lot of it, or at least a part of it, was video-based. So we watched the video and then just interacted on different questions that we had uh, about, the, about what happened during the, uh, during the video. So uh, then afterwards is my favorite time. Uh, a lot of time there's, there's food. And uh, if you know me, you know that uh, Oreos are a big favorite, strawberries are good, chips and salsa. I keep going, but I, I think there's probably other things you want to cover. So. No, that's very good. You got me hungry. I know. Uh, Pizza's all right. So last two hours, roughly, yeah, about two hour hours, and a half, yeah. something like that? Two hours. Okay. Something like that. We talk about uh, groups as being a, a vehicle for life change. Yeah. You know, that, that that's what brings about life change. So again, I'm going to ask you something a little different than the first. What's different in you because of being involved in groups? Okay. Uh, what happens here on a Sunday morning is awesome. I love uh, the message that you bring. I love the worship that we get to experience together. That's great. And in and of itself is a peace. Mm -hmm. uh, God wants to use us in each other's lives to bring about the type of life change that he, he wants to have happen. That can't happen outside the context of a group. It won't happen on a Sunday morning. So uh, I, I don't know if I've scratched the specific itch of 
the question you asked, but the... The, you could be a politician. You did a uh, good job. Well, I, I'm no, sorry. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. But, you know, part of what you're saying I think is important. We are, we're talking this morning about this very uh, difficult topic. And for some of you, you walk away today. Sunday morning doesn't provide a context for unpacking what we talk about. Right. So you walk away today, and if you're driving home with someone, you might talk about it. If you're driving home alone, you may end up stopping at Jewel and just, you know, talking to the person at the cash register because you've got to talk to somebody, you know, you've got to get this out. Groups provide the place for conversations. They provide, and, and what's cool about it is I think sometimes we even put too much, too much into the group in terms of that's where our relationships happen. Hmm. No, that's where our relationships come from. Sure. We meet people in groups, we get to know them, and then we say, why don't you come over to my house, or why don't we go out to breakfast, or something like that, it's so you have a chance a to take it even, even further. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, think that, I think that part is, it's just, it's really cool. So, um, what's been, just give one, one highlight you've had of being involved in groups through the years. What, what's something that pops yeah. into your mind, you kind of go, I know, you always hate when I ask these uh, one questions, but if I ask you 39, we'll be here a long okay. time. So, here's the one thing. <clears throat> I've been in a lot of different groups, and in every single experience that I've had, uh, there has been someone that I've been able to challenge or help, mm-hmm. and there's been someone that's challenged me. And you know, my perspective on groups is we, we sometimes look inward and we think, oh, well, what can I bring to the table? Uh, my experiences don't matter. They do. Your experiences are unique. That's what makes you you. And the thing that we, we downplay our own experiences and think that we don't have anything to offer uh, other people. That's totally not true. Mm-hmm. I have benefited greatly from people who thought they weren't adding much, but they said the word that I needed to hear. Uh, so you can call Absolutely. it, wrap it up in relationships, but it's that taking our relationships to, in, a, in a different uh, direction, uh, having a spiritual dynamic to them. Yeah, I, I, what you say is great because I... I enter, a lot of times I'm the one involved in leading the group. I come with a clear perspective that's been formed over 48 years of being part of my family and the education I have and the experiences I've had. And I'll start launching into a direction on a topic and someone will kind of stop midstream and say, well, what about this? And I go, huh, hadn't really thought of it that way because I'm not you. And, and we get this chance to talk about this so that we, get, we understand all of a sudden that our perspective isn't the only one in the universe, which right. is very helpful. It's yes. really, that helps a lot. Groups are about relationships, sure. and so two things happen. One is that generally, um, if our group leader is doing the job the way they're supposed to, it's not lecture-based. Sure. It's not just listening to one voice all night. It's um, asking good questions and hearing people give answers and, and enter into the conversation. And for some people in the room, you're so cool with that because you like conversation. And for some people in the room, you hear it's a conversation and you go, <laughs> you, know, you, you can feel the eye hives working up your body from your ankles because you don't want to talk. Are you kidding me? So what about the person that's saying, I'd love to be a part of a group, but are they going to make me answer questions? Are they going to make me talk? Are they going? How about are they going to make me? You know, period. Anything? Are they uh, make me do stuff? I, I would say this: uh, I have yet to be a part of a group here where we have put a person on a spot and say, said, "You will answer this deep theological question. You will know the answer to this." Uh, that doesn't happen. What does happen is some give and take about you know just experiences in our lives. Uh, a lot of times th- there'll be a we call them an icebreaker question, whatever, mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that people answer, you know, what's one thing you've done that nobody else has done? And it's in that silliness that the ice gets broken and mm-hmm. you start to learn things about people that, uh, mm-hmm. that helps. Mm-hmm. It helps. 
one group of people that um, probably the last three or four groups I've had, I've been more sensitive to it than ever before. I've always been sensitive to it, but I've hit it in a fresh way. And that is people that are coming to a group alone. Mm -hmm. They may be coming alone because they don't have a spouse or because their spouse doesn't go to our church or, you know, isn't, isn't connected with God or, um, or their, their spouse is fully connected with God. They're just not attending this group at this time. And, and so that person kind of goes, uh, you know, I, I'd like to try out a group, but the thought of coming alone terrifies me. And I've really been trying to help people to understand that you, 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 have, you have to break through that. Yeah. You have to, you got to go. Yeah. You got to break through it. We've had some people in our groups that we know after a couple of sessions, they, they were sitting outside the house thinking maybe I'll just drive away because it was terrifying to them the thought of walking in. Sure. What do you say to the person who says, I want to go, but I, I don't want to be alone? Well, the one uh, comment that I would have is you don't cure being alone by staying alone. Right? There's a, there is an element of courage. Let definitely. me all write that down. I, was, was that, I forgot just, if I said it exactly like that way in the first service, but I was like, that I really is have so, to remember. That's fantastic. Okay. I mean... Here you are wanting to not be alone yeah. anymore. So what do you do? Alone. Reinforce your aloneness. Here's, here's, that the thing. Works. here's the thing, though. Everyone, it, it takes an element of courage. And everyone yeah. here that has tried a group had to take a step that was a courageous step. Because whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you, uh, you know, are afraid of, of, you know, the aloneness thing coming at it, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to be alone. There is a hurdle that everyone has to get over uh, but isn't that the type of thing that God uses in our lives to change us, to make mm -hmm. us better? Mm -hmm. You don't get better by sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. You have to do something. Yeah. You have to take a step. I would even put it further and say there's, there is a supernatural hurdle. I totally agree. And, I and, absolutely know, agree. I, I, I kind of like groups. You know, I've been involved in forming them, leading them, everything else. Yeah. My groups a lot of times are on Sunday nights. Yeah. And after my Sunday afternoon nap, when my hair is doing this and my wife points it out very well and all that stuff. You know, I can't say that every Sunday I'm going, oh, group time, woo! You know, I'm kind of wanting to stay home. And, and, and I'm sure you've been, no, you're uh, not, you're a party At, at the end of the but, night, on those nights for me, at the end of the, walking in, sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm not sure I really want to do this. But it's at the end of the night that I look back and go, something good happened here. Yeah. Someone said something that um, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. Or uh, I said something and, and was able to help, you know, somebody yeah. else, uh, you know. Got to push through. Got to do Got to push through. Yep. Would you take this little brochure catalog? I, I want to just run over, again, some of the, the options that you have because they're great options. The first one on the inside cover, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Dave's not going to be there, but, but his DVD will be. And um, this is a we're, – we're finally doing the Financial Peace University thing full-fledged. It does involve a fee, but you get a chance to come and see it first. So that's this Thursday night. You can come for a, a free session and learn about that and uh, learn about those uh, methods. The next one is called Love and Respect. It's, uh, it's led by Jeff and Carrie Kristoff. A good, uh, a good relationship book. It talks about a crazy cycle that, that all of our marriage relationships in particular are involved in. But I, I want to push this a little further and say, I don't think it's a, it's a group that's reserved for married couples. It's a group that, you know, you, for one thing, if you're married but can only come alone, that's fine. But honestly, I think it's a group that just teaches good relational principles. And you'll find, really, that this will have an impact on, on your relationships. While a lot of the applications may be marriage-oriented, uh, they have application beyond that. 
The, on the inside cover, you see the one, hopefully yours is turned this way, that says Daybreak Outreach. Um, some of the groups that we offer are one-time. This is a one-time. You're going and, and serving food at a, at, a, at a homeless shelter. You just did this not awesome. too long ago for the first time. Yep, it was great. Have you ever done anything like that before, even as a kid or anything? <sighs> I think I may have done it one time a long okay. time ago in college, but I'll tell you what. Well, I, you called I wish, me driving home, and you were like moving I wish I'd have done it sooner. Yeah. I, I wish I'd have done it sooner to see everyone there together uh, serving God, serving people that were in need was, uh, was a great experience for us. Kelly Newton's leading a group calling Becoming a Woman of Simplicity. Obviously a girl group. Guys, stay home. But um, who doesn't need to do some simplifying in their life? Crazy Love, Eric and Sarah Richter. Eric and Sarah are uh, at Epcot today. So here's what we're going to do because we're good Christians. They're going to listen to the podcast and go, boo. Come on. Boo. They didn't invite us. Can you believe it? What's wrong with them? Anyway. Uh, the next side, 20, solving the 24 problems men face. I'm sure on your list you may have a few more than that, but Dale only has 24 problems that men face, and we're going to be covering those together. Mom Connection is a group that meets throughout the year two times a month, once here, once at Tristy Carlson's house. Ecclesiastes is their meaning to life. This is the group you're going to, yep, right? absolutely. And if you've never been in a group with John, I mean, it's a party the whole time. You've got to go. <laughs> but um, Don and Misty are leading this group. And by the way, their book, it advertises a book on the website. And the shipping is like the cost of the book. It's like $8. They got some of the books minus the shipping. So they can provide that for you. Uh, Beth Moore's David, Seeking a Heart Like His. Again, a, a, group, a girls group. One of these days I am going to break out Beth Moore for dudes. But until then, here it is. Ladies Comedy Night. Again, a one-time event. And Entrusted with the Child's Heart, which is a, a parenting course offered by Steve and Lori Almberg. There are tons of great options. you got to get in a group. It lasts for 10 weeks. Yeah. 10 weeks. I mean, just think of this. By the time your group is done... It'll be light out at night when it's done. It'll be warm out at night when it's done. And bugs will attack you on the way home. So it'll be great. It'll be great. You got you to get involved in a group. Do you have anything to add about groups? I do. Uh, the, walking out of here, there's, uh, there's one thing. Uh, everybody has their obstacle, right? Whether, whatever it happens to be. And uh, I was talking about this in the first service about how there are, I, I love to ski. That's something I really, really enjoy. And there are a lot of obstacles to hmm. that. There's no place close to ski that's good, that's tall. Uh, there, it's cold. Uh, you know, getting the equipment is always a problem. There are a lot of obstacles, but yet somehow every year I find a way to get around those obstacles because for me, it's just it's it's worth it. It's so worth it to do that. This is the same exact thing. There are mm. obstacles, whatever they are, that you have to overcome, uh, but it's so worth it. Uh, on the other side of it, it's it's totally worth it. Cool. You can register on the way out. There are computers set up over there, the computer kiosks. Uh, there will be people standing there to register you. In fact, would you mind sure. standing yep. close to it? Don't leave because I'm going to have you pray. Okay. But, um, stand close to it so that people can identify where the spot is. Close our, our time out and pray okay. this morning. Heavenly Father, we are privileged to be able to uh, have worshipped you uh, as a congregation today uh, together. Pray that you would continue to, uh, to teach us uh, about yourself, about your word, Pray over, over these, uh, these groups. Pray for the leaders that you would give them wisdom. And I, I pray for uh, just everyone uh, that is attached to Southfield. Uh, God, you know the obstacles. You know the things that stand in the way and that, uh, that are challenges. Pray that you would uh, give us courage, that you would lead us. Um, we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Get, give John a moment to get to the back. So stand up. Say hi to the person next to you. 
and enjoy the heat wave this week. Grab your chair, put it on the stack. Have a great day. Thanks for being here.